This is the No Dabble Podcast. I'm Brian Hogan, and this evening I'm joined by Kate Ball, Vice President of the Mental Health and Wellbeing Group at Amazon. Thank you very much for taking time out of your evening, Kate. Hi, glad to be here. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Absolutely. So um, as you can probably hear, I have an English accent, um, but currently live in Seattle. I've worked for Amazon for coming up to seven years now and originally started with the company as a recruiter, um, recently moved over to be a senior program manager. And some of the work I do is very focused on things like employee experience. And through that, got very actively involved in um, creating and launching our mental health and well-being Um, employee resource group. So I've been on the board of directors for their global board for the past 18 months now and recently stepped up to be a vice president, a newly created role. Um, And I oversee events, programming, communications and marketing and branding for them. And um, in terms of my experience with this subject matter, I'm actually the child of parents who suffer from mental illness. So I have grown up around this subject matter and it's something that's always been very near and dear to me. In my spare time, I also sit on the board of directors for NAMI Washington. Uh, NAMI, for those unaware, is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So I am not a qualified psychologist, psychiatrist or mental health professional, um, just a very passionate advocate for breaking stigmas and normalizing conversations on this type of subject matter. What is the Mental Health and Wellbeing Group? What do they do at Amazon? Sure. So many, many large companies have it's different terminology in different businesses. Employee resource group or affinity group is probably the most common terminology. And it's basically a community by the people for the people. So it's not a corporate run entity. It's something that may receive corporate funding, but operates outside of our day jobs. So all of our staff are volunteer based. Nobody is paid for their work. But um, some of the work that we do in the mental health space is we consult with the business in terms of how we can provide better resources and benefits to our employees. If we identify processes that may be detrimental to employee health or well-being. Um, Some of the recent projects that I've worked on that I've been really engaged with is firstly the Amazon Christmas ad that came out in 2021. When the business started planning that, the advertising team approached me for a consultation and basically outlined what their proposal was in terms of their basic concept and what they were trying to communicate. The theme being kindness is the greatest gift. And as they started to storyboard this out, there were certain things that I was able to pick up on um, just through my work and knowledge of um, our community and highlight that, okay, um, for example, they had um, the concept that a person would be flickering almost as if they're different disappearing to visually show on screen that that person felt invisible on occasion. And I explained that I didn't necessarily think that that was appropriate. And I thought there were other ways that we could address that and convey that message um, without minimizing that person's presence, their physical presence putting on events and programs for our community, helping to raise awareness, to educate our employees, to train people to be better allies or advocates for their peers, recognize where opportunities to support each other exist. And and one of the things that I'm most passionate about, as I said earlier, is normalizing conversations, being vulnerable and making it okay to talk about these topics that historically have been considered unprofessional or not having a place in the workplace um, but in actual fact affect so many of us and can have such catastrophic impact on us if they go unaddressed so breaking those stigmas and bringing those conversations into the mainstream is one of the main aspects of the role I do um, for this organization and tonight we're going to talk about burnout and to start off how would you describe burnout So burnout is interesting because it's a phrase that we all know, but many people characterize it in different ways. What I would say is it mimics 
many of the symptoms of depression. So first of all, it can be misunderstood and overlooked quite easily. But there are three main components or dimensions to it that tend to be um, pretty universal. First of all, the feeling of exhaustion, just not having the energy or the mental capacity to approach a task. The second, I would say, is feeling negative or um, being cynical about, if we're talking about work, for example, about feeling cynical about your role in a company or what you are being asked to perform in terms of duties that previously you could do easily or without a second thought now seem a hardship. They seem to be something that you're procrastinating on and you don't want to do. Um, And I would say the third is kind of this sense of ineffectiveness or not feeling the high, not recognizing your accomplishments or not actually identifying when you have achieved something. But how would you differentiate some of the, I suppose, normal day-to-day negative feelings about a task you don't enjoy doing or you find it tiring or, you know, something that's been dragging on for a while? Those things seem very familiar and normal to me. But I don't think <laughs> I'm reaching the level of burnout. You know, if you know, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to joke or anything. But those seem to be to come hand in hand with a lot of jobs, but not be a serious problem. Absolutely, I agree with you, and I think to a certain extent in the modern world, we all are at risk of burnout pretty much every day. Um, so I, I hear you on that. There are um, there are some ways that it goes deeper. I would say people with burnout tend to feel very overwhelmed and start to isolate themselves. Um, They may demonstrate behaviors that are out of character for them. So myself, I'm very gregarious and very social. If I stop being an active participant in conversations, it's quite likely that I'm feeling overwhelmed. People will notice that change in my behavior. At the same time, cancelling plans, um, suffering from physical health ailments. Um, I know myself, I'm getting ready for a vacation because I can feel myself getting weaker and weaker. I'm more susceptible to colds or um, to just not being able to have the same stamina that I usually would. Um, At the extreme end of the scale, escape fantasies, people who basically just want to get out. It's gone from procrastinating on a task to full scale wanting to leave your job regardless of the consequences and not physically being able to function or shut off those feelings. There are extreme cases as well where people may um, misuse alcohol or drugs or um, self-medicate in other ways to overcome those feelings. Um, So when we're talking about burnout, we are going beyond just the generic feeling tired kind of situations that could could be fixed by taking a long weekend or by giving yourself a couple of days extra sleep. These are things that are becoming habitual and you can't just shut them off by taking a vacation or by walking away for a couple of hours. Who is susceptible to burnout? Everybody. That's the scary thing. It's it's a lot more common than we realize. And often, like I said at the beginning, it a lot of burnout burnout symptoms um, mimic depression. So a lot of people don't even understand or realize that they're suffering from burnout. Um, I would say that there are certain characteristics or personality types that tend to be more susceptible than others. Um, Type A personalities for one, um, purely because anybody who is what we typically see as a positive, like a self-starter or an ambitious person or a competitive person, is much more likely to be driving themselves to the brink of exhaustion and not recognizing those signs of needing to step back and set healthy boundaries. I know that I have a lot of type A characteristics and I internally criticize myself when I see what I 
perceive to be weakness, when I'm not delivering something that previously I could or that I mentally believe I should be able to, I will keep pushing myself harder and harder until I get there. Not listening to my body, not listening to the mental cues, and that's when I'm at risk. Um, And I think that's probably the most um, at-risk group, but that's not to say that other groups are not also at risk. Is there any element of age to this? I don't believe so, no. I I would say that as adults, we're a lot more capable of voicing and recognizing our emotions and talking about these things than children are, for example. Um, But there's plenty of studies that do show children suffer burnout as well, particularly um, teenagers, early adolescents going through exams for the first time and, and around those types of periods of time when people are having to prove themselves for the first time. To come back to the the work scenarios for adults, say, what are common causes of burnout at work? So there's so many different things, and it's really, really hard to generalize, to be completely honest with you. I would say that there are a few that tend to be more prevalent. So things like um, the perception that you have a lack of control um, or have an inability to influence the decisions that directly affect you or your job. That can be a very triggering scenario for people, especially going back to that time pay personality, people that are used to being in control. Um, Feeling outside of your comfort zone can be one of the first things. Um, A lack of clarity um, surrounding job expectations. If you're unclear about the degree of authority that you have or what is expected of you, you're not likely to feel comfortable and that discomfort will manifest itself in stress and stress unchecked develops into eventually burnout. Um, I would also say things like dysfunctional workplace dynamics. Um, I, again, within my work within the employee resource group, we have an internal communication forum. So people can anonymously post some of the experiences that they've had, some of the challenges that they're facing. And it's very, very common for people to um, call out in these forums that they feel like they're working with somebody who bullies them or undermines them. And and this, again, can contribute to job stress. And that stress, when unchecked, again, can manifest itself and and, um, basically snowball. Uh, Other things, extremes, Anytime. um, So I work for Amazon and I think pretty much everybody that listens to this will know Amazon. So we'll recognize the certain times of the year that we consider a peak period in activity. And during those extremes, it's very likely that people will start to feel enormous stress. And again, unchecked, that can lead to fatigue and job burnout. Um, Also, when things are monotonous. If, if you don't have the mental stimulation, if you don't have the variety to keep you challenged, that in itself, it, again, can very quickly lead to a different type of burnout. Um, other things like lack of social support, if you feel isolated, either at work or in your personal life, if you don't have that balance, you're more likely to be bottling up that stress, which again, very, very bad for you. Um, if, if you're in that situation, definitely find a therapist or someone you can talk to because, again, there are so many studies that show the the harmful consequences of, of keeping it inside. Um, oftentimes, that's going to lead you to kind of a breakdown scenario. It might just be an outburst of anger, but it can also manifest in various physical ways as well. Um, And just imbalance in general. I'm a huge proponent of that work hard, but play hard mentality. And oftentimes I hear people that may judge me for that in some ways. Um, But I really believe that you have to um, have that work-life harmony in place. You have to have your ways that you can blow off steam, um, again, to make sure that you're not bottling up those emotions and you're releasing that in a healthy way. Does that help? Oh, absolutely. Your comment about the the extremes of activity, even kind of the, 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 the almost doing nothing can be a problem. I remember hearing 
about Secret Service agents and what they found that the most stressed Secret Service agents were the ones on a detail protecting the wife of a late president because nothing ever happened. There was nothing to do. And they found that those were the ones having the most difficulty with their jobs. Absolutely, because if you think about the types of people attracted to a role like that, the monotony, the the lack of activity, that would be unfathomable to them in terms of what they expected their role to entail. Gotcha. So That's absolutely. what they signed up for. Mm-hmm. How would, I'm going to look at this from two different perspectives. How would a a person recognize burnout in themselves first? So I'm going to quote somebody else's work and I'm probably going to absolutely butcher their names. So please forgive me. But there are two psychologists who have written extensively on this topic and unofficially are considered the foremost experts. So it's a gentleman named Herbert Freudenberger or Berger and Gail North. And they outlined that there's basically 12 phases of burnout or 12 stages. So the first stage is that excessive driver ambition. It's very common for people when starting a new job or undertaking a new task to be really ambitious and optimistic about what you can achieve and start pushing yourself. Um, And that leads into that stage two, when your expectation and the reality don't quite match, pushing yourself even harder. Um, Number three, and you'll see these all segue very easily. It's a slippery slope. Number three is when you start neglecting your own needs. You sacrifice your self-care, things like sleep, exercise, eating well. I think we've all been in scenarios where you get in the zone at work and you work through lunch, not even thinking about it. But then by four o'clock, you start to feel your energy levels depleting. You're starting to feel more tired. You get very, very hungry. That evening meal is larger than you anticipated. And then you don't digest it in time before you go to sleep. So you don't have a good night's sleep. And it's just this snowball effect. So neglecting your own needs is a big issue. Um, Number four tends to be displacement of conflict. We as human beings, even the most self-aware amongst us, have difficulty accepting our own fault in scenarios. And I find this a lot with burnout. Um, At work, I often hear um, displaced anger towards the business. I'm burnt out because Amazon made me work too hard. Um, I'm burnt out because the expectations of my manager were too great. And when I sit down and have a conversation with somebody and really try to dive into this and say, well, what did they actually tell you? At what point did somebody tell you that you were expected to work 16 hour days, seven days a week for six weeks? Like, Where did that come from? And how did you set a boundary with that? And once we start to unpick those behaviors, oftentimes I find people have done this to themselves without even realizing. They've felt a sense of obligation and pride in their work. So they've pushed themselves to an extreme limit. But once they start to feel the effects of that, rather than accept responsibility for their own actions, it's often easier to blame somebody else. So that tends to be number four. That's really interesting because... When you were when you were uh, talking to me about what leads to burnout, I was going to say to you, so is it bad management a lot of the time? And <laughs> clearly it's not yep. simple as that. No, Sorry for interrupting. I- not at all. And I I agree. It's a very interesting thing. And it's something that I'm sure I've been guilty of in the past as well. Um, but I can pretty much guarantee when you sit down and really start looking at yourself or somebody else who's complain- complaining of these situations and how they're feeling, when you really turn the table and say, okay, but how did you, how did you try to prevent this? What steps have you taken to prevent this happening? Or what conversations have you had? Um, I've actually got a very close friend who I was driving home from camping with last year, and they were basically using the drive home to say how exhausted they were mentally, physically. It was nice to have the weekend, but now I've got to go back to the grind and I'm dreading it. And I basically just said, but have you told your manager that 
the targets you've got right now are unrealistic. Because if you keep delivering at this volume, at this pace, at this scale, do they know everything it's taking for you to be able to do that? Or do they just assume that that's your natural output? And if you haven't told them that, can they really be blamed for then giving you more? Because a manager's job is also to push you, to help you develop, to create new opportunities, to to create opportunities to learn. And if they're not aware of how much of yourself you're dedicating to just keeping your head above water right now, how can you expect them to read between the lines and scale back? Surely if the situation were reversed and, and you were feeling bored, you'd be frustrated with that manager. So you need to have an open dialogue. I honestly, working for Amazon for seven years and I've had 13 managers in that time, I have never had one manager that when I've gone to them and said, look, I don't think these deadlines are realistic. I can either do this by this time and we need to push this out or sacrifice what isn't high priority, or I can delegate this to somebody else and we can between us meet this deadline. I've never had a manager push back and say, no, I expect you to work 16 hour days to make it work. So really think about that. We've all got a personal responsibility to ourselves. I, I have done that in the past at other companies where there was there was a demand that we're all going to start working 12 hour days in a meeting. And I went, no, you are not authorized. You have no authority to request that. <laughs> You're not in a position to pay for that. And you can't force that on us. And I was supported by my boss. And that was the end of that. Uh, this thing, it's sad. Not all bosses are created equal. And if you do have a boss that expects that of you, I absolutely advocate that you should leave that boss. <laughs> there will always be other jobs out there. Um, but in the large majority of cases, when I have these conversations with people, it's never even occurred to them to push back. Or even if it did, they don't feel comfortable and confident enough. They think that it reflects negatively on them. Like they're somehow supposed to be this superhero that can can achieve everything. Um, and the reality is none of us are. We all have our ups and downs and we all have a certain point of what we can do and what we can't. And it's better to be realistic and to advocate for ourselves. I let um, you get back to your your twelve. I think twelve stages yes. of burnout. I think you were on to number yes, five. Yes, sorry. This is number five. Yes. So um, number five is what I was talking about earlier in terms of letting go of that harmony, um, not making time for non-work related needs. So sacrificing your social time with family and friends, declining social invitations, parties, movies, dinner dates, whatever. When these things start to feel burdensome, just one more thing you have to do instead of enjoyable. Um, that's definitely a stage. And it's the first stage that I recognize, truthfully, when big, being such a social person at the point that I don't want to go out with my friends, I know I've got a problem. Um, but that leads very swiftly on to number six, which is denial. Um, once you start to realize it, that's when the internal voices start to attack us again. Um, impatience with those around you mounts. Instead of taking responsibility for our own behaviors, we tend to blame others again. Um, it's, it's a real thing. Um, a bit like the stages of grief. And once we start to accept that, we also typically will start to withdraw withdraw from friends and family, anybody that we believe may be judging us for being lazy or just keeps peppering us with those social invites and it begins burdensome to have to say no to them. So we just start to avoid them entirely, not picking up the phone or returning any messages. And just bear in mind what I said earlier about mimicking the signs of depression. Up until this point, very, very similar, especially this stage. Um, and so number eight is the behavioral changes. So people may start to become more aggressive, more snappy at loved ones, more irritable. Um, and number nine, also depersonalization. So starting to feel detached from people in your life, from your ability to control what is happening and ability to push back and have those conversations with a manager. 
Hopefully, most people don't get to the points 10, 11, and 12, because this is when serious mental health issues may arise. Um, but inner in- emptiness or anxiety, feeling empty, this is when people, if they're going to, may turn to thrill-seeking behaviours to cope with the emotions. Substance misuse can start gambling, overeating, drinking drugs, all of those things that are a temporary relief or escape. Then 11 is full-blown depression. So life loses its meaning. You begin to feel hopeless. It's hard to even get out of bed in the morning. It's hard to even contemplate starting your day, let alone achieving everything that you need to. Um, and 12, if if unchecked, is typically a mental or physical collapse. So basically, your ability to cope has completely stopped functioning um, and mental health or medical attention is most likely necessary at this point that's uh if people want I to know. find out more could you give us the names of the two authors again that you you, you gave at the start absolutely so it's herbert freudenberger and gail north and gail is g-a-i-l well. yes Um, I would say the vast majority of us get to stage five and that's when we start to realize what's happening and correct. That's no Um, time for non-work related needs. So time with family, friends, doing nice things. Exactly. The point that you start to withdraw and you start to kind of avoid anything that isn't work because you just don't have the energy let alone the appetite or desire to go out that's when most people self-correct they recognize what it's happening and that's when the escapism kind of fantasies tend to start that's when people realize this job is killing me and i need to find a way out so let's maybe move to something more hopeful if you are if you have recognized this in yourself at one of these earlier stages, hopefully, what do you do about it? It's going back to that self-care routine. So basically, first of all, you need to advocate for yourself. You need to initiate conversations with anybody that is setting you targets or um, expectations that you believe are unrealistic. You need to advocate for yourself. But also from a physical well-being perspective, things like exercise, not just good for your physical health, but also gives you that emotional and mental boost as well. You don't need to spend hours in the gym, even just a short walk around the block um, and making that a daily habit. I have two small dogs and whenever I start to feel overwhelmed in my day, I make a point of downing tools for 20 minutes and taking them for a walk. And when I get back, not only do I feel mentally clearer, but I also feel more energized. I feel readier to kind of tackle all the things that only 20 minutes before I was procrastinating and just thinking can it wait till tomorrow so definitely things like that um eating a balanced diet again I tend to you go two ways or people I should say go two ways they either undereat or overeat in times of stress I'm an overeater but I'm an overeater of the stuff that I shouldn't be eating I I want Chinese takeaways all the time or Indian food or something like that. Um, And really making sure that you're eating a balanced diet, that you're getting those omega-3s and um, that you're, you're kind of, you're feeding, you're fueling your body to work at its optimal levels. Um, Sleep. Sleep is probably the number one um, factor that is underappreciated, but absolutely pivotal to core health. Um, Making sure that you get that time to rest and reset. You are not going to be capable of scaling mountains mentally or physically the next day if you're unrested. So making sure that you switch off for at least six hours a night um, and give your body that time to recharge. Um, And while we're talking about sleep, I, I am not a doctor. So again, please forgive me, but it's it's widely recognized. Avoiding things like caffeine before bed um, can help you sleep better. Establishing a bedtime ritual, um, turning off smartphones and devices at least 30 minutes before you go to sleep, things like that will help you 
get to sleep easier and sleep better throughout the night. Um, and the number one thing, going back to what I said earlier about advocating for yourself, is asking for help. It's really important to be vocal about what you're going through because oftentimes people recognize the signs but don't know how to help and they don't want to overstep. So providing an opportunity for those around you to actually give you the assistance you need is vital. Even if it's just a case of saying, look, I'm really overwhelmed. I've eaten nothing but takeaways for the past three days. Next time you go to the grocery store, can you just pick me up a few things? It sounds really simple, but it can be the difference between your body running on sugar and running on something nutritious. So um, just little things like that. At the end of the day, as human beings, we're pack animals. We want to take care of each other. We we typically tend to gravitate towards each other and want to support each other. So it's just giving an opportunity for people to do that for you. If you are a manager, how would you recognize the signs in another person? Then how would you help them? So earlier I mentioned things like changes in personality. Um, I have had managers come to me in the past and say, Kate, you're normally the first person to talk up in a meeting and we normally can't shut you up. But in the last three, you haven't said a word. What's going on? And, and sometimes it could be a completely different thing. I've been saying to my team recently, because I do so much presenting at work anyway, I've, I've been saying recently, I'm sick of the sound of my own voice. And I'm pretty sure other people are too. So I'm just trying to take a back seat and let others talk. Um, but sometimes that is a clear indicator that somebody is not themselves. They are struggling. Loss of confidence as well um, could be a, a key sign. Maybe it's somebody that is being very pessimistic, convinced that their ideas aren't good, um, that don't want to put themselves forward to make suggestions, whereas normally they would be one of your key problem solvers or something like that. Um, and it's not just loss of confidence in the office. That can leach through to personal as well, with people believing that they're incompetent or disliked or unwanted. And that can manifest in the kinds of comments that they make during conversation. Also, I mentioned the socializing aspect and I focused very heavily on outside of work, but that can also manifest itself at work. If somebody used to be the life and soul going into the kitchen to make a coffee and having chats and now suddenly they're sitting at their desk with their headphones on the whole time, that change in behavior can be quite noticeable and it can be one of the first warning signs that this person is essentially mimicking signs of depression. Um, so that's the point that you want to reach out and do a check-in with them. So any kind of change in behavior, a dip in energy or anything like that, becoming unspirited, those are key signs. Another really big sign is when an employee's quality of work suddenly drops or their volume of work suddenly drops. Maybe they start making careless mistakes. Maybe um, what you're used to having them deliver in terms of volume is suddenly significantly less. Um, or it's taking them much longer to reply to an email or a message than they usually would. Um, maybe, and there is the opposite side from that lack of confidence. There's also the overconfidence and a recklessness that comes about with a devil may care attitude sometimes in terms of somebody almost playing fire me chicken, trying to see how far they can push it because they feel like they just don't care anymore. Um, so that again could be a symptom or a very clear indicator. And then I would also say pay attention to somebody's sickness record. Typically, you will find that those with depression or burnout will have a lot more frequent instances of being late or being sick. Um, and, and this could be something that just suddenly started or has existed over a long period of time. But if there is one person on your team that always seems to have a cold, for example, that's an indicator that they may not be taking the best care of themselves. So, again, is worth reaching out and seeking to understand how you can provide support. I know you went through the, the 12 stages, but 
can people kind of pause along the way and not go past one of those or is it a progression that you will no absolutely we can self-correct oftentimes people will self-regulate without even realizing um but it tends to be when you get to that period that you're um, blaming others. You've recognized you're feeling burnt out, but you're deflecting the blame or at the point where you're starting to withdraw. That's when we tend to recognize ourselves that we're burning out. And you can absolutely turn things around at that point in time. It's not a full on reverse, but you can fight your way back. Um, so some of the things you can do, like really try and regain your perspective. The fact of the matter is big responsibilities and a heavy workload, they can lead to you feeling like you're carrying the weight of the world. But if you can take a step back mentally and really reprioritize, identify step by step what you need to achieve um, and how to split these things into more manageable and bite-sized chunks, they immediately become less daunting. So for example, at the moment, I'm having to create a website for something, that a program that I'm launching at the end of March. And I am not a technical person and stuff like web design scares the bejesus out of me. But I'm approaching it as this big mammoth project. Whereas if I just sit down and write the content for one page at a time and then figure out a way to interlock them together and then get somebody else to work with me on the code and things like that and break it down, it's a lot less intimidating for me and I'm not carrying that through to my evening. If anything, I feel a sense of sense of accomplishment every time I tick off one of those tasks. So building things into manageable chunks, absolutely key. Also, going back to what I was saying earlier about setting healthy boundaries, learn to say no. It's absolutely fine. People, I don't know why we got this mentality that you're not allowed to advocate for yourself or say no at work. It's something that you will see key executives do frequently. Think about the last time you tried to put some time on your VP's calendar. They didn't just click their fingers and drop everything and make time for you, and nor should they. So why do you feel you have to do that for other people? If we want to be successful, we should replicate the people and the behaviors of the people that we perceive to be successful. And you are pretty much guaranteed that anybody in a senior level position very closely guards their time and what they give their energies to. So you should be doing the exact same thing. Um, also, like I said, build in breaks. If you're anything like me, I get in the zone and walking away kills me because I know it's going to take me time to get back into it. But at the same time, the quality of what I produce after a certain amount of time drops off. So I know that I need to walk away and just take a breather and come back because it may be that I'm in the zone and I'm creating all of this great content. But once I go back and reread it, actually, it's not as great as I thought it was at the time I was writing it. So not only have I pushed myself to a limit or passed it in most cases, but also I've kind of wasted that time. So definitely be sure to give yourself regular breaks, even if it's just getting up to stretch and get a coffee or do some deep breathing. Um, and also just going back to that self-regulation piece, really try and manage your own expectations. You are not a superhero. You can't achieve everything all at once. Don't beat yourself up when you don't. It's perfectly natural to have ups and downs, um, tired um, periods of peak activity and periods where you're not. I I know today I was super distracted today. I, I actually found out um, a close fan, family member passed away a few days ago. And so grief is a strange thing. I, I worked yesterday absolutely fine. I actually enjoyed having the distraction of work because it stopped me from dwelling on things. But today, especially this afternoon, I just couldn't get my head in the game. And usually I would beat myself up about all of the things that I should have been doing, but didn't. And thanks to my work in the mental health group, now I know that's okay. It's fine. I'll come back tomorrow and I'll do it tomorrow. You know what? Maybe on Sunday, I'll suddenly get a, oh, I want to design this webpage, Sen. It's unlikely, but it's possible. 
So really manage your expectations and be kind to yourself. Um, and alongside that, try and remember why you have this job in the first place. What was your reason for taking it? What do you get satisfaction from? Often when we get burned out, we don't see the bigger picture. We lose sight of what we got excited about. So try and get back in touch with that and try and kind of capitalize on recognizing all of those achievements or all of those things that you're doing that actually you used to get great satisfaction from. Even if it's just writing them down in a journal so that when you are feeling demotivated, you can come back to them. That can be really useful. Um, and finally, I just say, and I've said it before, but don't suffer in silence. Make sure once you recognize where you're at, talk to somebody, whether it's a peer, a colleague, a boss, a therapist, a friend, a family member, it doesn't matter. Talking through our problems, make them easier for us to internally manage, but also allows other people to help us. So definitely make some time to reach out to somebody and, and really brainstorm or allow the possibility that somebody else can, can add value and help you back as well. Talking to friends, family, that's I'm sure of great use, but quite often the problem of burnout is at work and the manager is the person you have to talk to. Any suggestions on how to get that started? Absolutely. And this is probably the most commonality I see whenever I talk to people about this subject. Everybody feels that sense of fear, of um, embarrassment almost in admitting a flaw or what they perceive to be a flaw and a weakness. And it doesn't have to be the case. Just as being vulnerable demonstrates strength, so does admitting when you need help. Um, so if you have determined that you're suffering from burnout and you need some help turning things around, you absolutely have to talk to your boss. I know that the prospect can be intimidating, but there are some things you can do. First of all, I would say make sure you actually block out proper time. Don't try and get them walking down a corridor or just quickly pop 10 minutes in their calendar. This is a conversation you need to have that's not going to be rushed. It's not an afterthought or something that you want to do in a public place. So make sure you set aside time for a proper meeting and make sure you find a place where you are um, guaranteed a modicum of privacy. So if you do feel vulnerable and you might get emotional and that's okay, but if that does happen, you're not also contending with the embarrassment of thinking other people can hear or see you. Um, so make sure you've definitely got the time to discuss the issue and also brainstorm some workable solutions. Also, the scariest part, but you've got to be honest and upfront about what you're struggling with. At this point, there is absolutely no benefit to sweeping things under the rug or trying to sugarcoat. If you feel like you have or soon will have burnout, you have to be clear with your manager about the reasons why you think it's happening because they can't help you if you don't. And I fully, fully understand that it's scary to do that. But going back to the anecdote I said earlier about a friend who was working 16-hour days, once she had that conversation with her manager, her manager was horrified. They had no idea that she was doing that behind the scenes. And just being able to see that manager's reaction and hear that manager's reaction said more to her than anything that they verbalized because straight away she knew this was in my head. This expectation that I built up as being their expectation was not their expectation at all. That person's actually horrified that I've been doing that. So now I already know this is a safe place for me to say, okay, great, because I can't keep going. So would it be okay if I did this? Or how can you help me reduce my working hours without fearing that I'm not delivering enough? So really be very clear and very open. Vulnerability is a strength. It's uncomfortable, but the more you lean into it, the easier it gets. And help them to help you as well. One of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody comes to me and they unload all of their frustrations, their anger, their disappointments, 
but they've got no idea of how to fix the problem. They've got no idea of what's going to make this better. And I'm not trying to put the emphasis, it's, it can fall into the realm of victim blaming or victim shaming if you emphasize this too much. But at the same time, you are the person that is saying this isn't working for me. So you need to have a clear idea of what would work for you so you can make that suggestion. There's there's no way to guarantee that your manager is going to agree to everything, but being clear and concise about what they can do in terms of improvements or providing support means that you're far more likely, even if you don't get the full extent of your requests, far more likely to meet in the middle and walk away with some support and some um, compromises that meet your expectations and your needs. So outlining what help you need the most and prioritizing that will be a big help. Um, what I will say is it's unsurprising that the cure is different for everybody because the symptoms and the causes are different for everybody. Um, but definitely moderating your workload, switching up your tasks or altering your work hours tend to be some of the most common factors issues like burnout and extreme cases don't be afraid to ask for time off work often I see people saying I need a break but I'm afraid to ask for a break I'm out of vacation leave or I've already taken so much sick time I think they're gonna fire me and I've got to say if you've got a manager that would fire you because you say I need this because I'm burning out and I can't deliver my best work that's not a manager you want. I'm not suggesting you should be fired or you go out and encourage that behavior. But definitely, if you're in that kind of environment, you probably want to start looking for another job anyway, because the reality is we all want and deserve to work with people who have our best interests in mind. So don't be afraid to go and seek mental health help um, from a therapist or a counselor, or just take some time off to give yourself time to rest and reset. A friend of mine had the line, life is too short to be unhappy at work. And he has stuck to that principle over the years and quit jobs uh, when he becomes, when he knows it's impossible to correct it and moves on. And he's happy and successful. Yeah, and truthfully, that happiness can come in many different ways. As I mentioned, I started with Amazon as a recruiter. In actual fact, I worked as a recruiter for 20 years. And I used to love the fact that getting somebody a job is life-changing to them. Getting them their dream job, oh my goodness, the feel-good that comes from making that call and telling somebody they're they're being offered a position with their dream employer or at a salary like that exceeded their wildest dreams, that's a major high. But after 20 years, I started to lose that high. And so about a year ago, I shifted within the same business, but to another role, a role in program management, which is allowing me to pursue all of my passions, all of the things that I was doing as a volunteer for free for many, many years anyway. But also the the unknown, the fact that I'm learning something new again, the additional challenges that come from not being able to do my job blindfolded because I've done it for so long, things like that that's actually sometimes they say a change is better than a break and that is something to think about as well in terms of your unhappiness can be caused by multiple different things and the answer may not be to walk away entirely but to find a way to pivot to something else that's going to re-excite you and whet that appetite that perhaps maybe you lost along the way any final notes before we wrap up for the evening kate I think we've covered a lot. Um, so. What I would say is, and just reiterate, I am not a mental health expert. So I have shared what I've researched, what I've studied, what I've learned over the course. I hope it's been beneficial. But as with anything, when you're talking mental health, please do not take what I have said as gospel. If you are in need of support, please do seek it from a licensed, qualified mental health professional. Um, and as with anything I say, in general, feel free to take what works for you and leave what doesn't. Kate Ball, thank you very much for your time this evening. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
If you like this episode, you should check out episode 153 with Jamie Goldstein on mental health and emotional fitness, episode 151 with Suparna Damani about physical health, and episode 139 with Heather Newman on the importance of workplace culture. Music was returned by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was Moonrise by Chad Crouch from the album Arps. <laughs> 